This is Changing the Rules, a podcast about designing the life you want to live. Hosted by Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Changing the Rules. I'm Casey Dempster, and I'm here with Ray Lowe in the wonderful and continually morphing Wildfire Podcast Studios in Woodbury, New Jersey. The, the, every time I come in here, there's been something different added or moved or whatever, and it's kind of like, what are we going to see today? That's because Wildfire is a company on the move. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, and again, let me make my comment. I'm not even going to let you get a word in edgewise here because our experience with Wildfire has been a wonderful one. I wish, uh, they, I, wish they, I had a mute button. <laughs> well, okay, well, you can mute me. Just hit me with that hammer you have. <laughs> but, but I, I think one of the wonderful things that happened is that uh, uh, they have all the experience that allowed us to go from knowing absolutely nothing to where we are now, which is two steps above nothing. But, <laughs> but, uh, but we do. Have have a podcast every couple of weeks, and, and we are on the air, and we do actually get wonderful people to come in and talk with us, and we got a couple of them today, mm-hmm. okay? And what else does everybody need to know about changing the rules? Well, changing the rules, as our uh, wonderful introduction said, uh, is, a, is about creating the life that you want and then living it to the fullest. And what we do with Changing the Rules podcast is we bring interesting people in who are doing interesting things because we want to provide uh, fodder for the people who are or want to be the luckiest people in the world because maybe there's something that they hadn't thought of that, that we talk about. Fodder? I knew you were going to give me a hard time fodder? about that. How about a role model? Well, that's that's two, but fodder is goes beyond that. Well, we have two people sitting here. We have Sharon McCullough. We have Chris Parsons back again. She just keeps coming back that's right. all the time. I, I love it so much. And, I love it. and uh, they're two people that work together in a very interesting business during these times. And uh, I, I think the way they've handled it is a really interesting role model for people that want to be the luckiest people in the world. Are you sure it's not fodder? I was just going to say, maybe fodder. How, 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 mutter, mutter doesn't work. You know, fodder gets all the credit. So anyway, we all have a lousy sense of humor. We'll, you know, I'll concede to that. But uh, let me introduce Sharon McCullough. Sharon, just say hi. Hi. And Chris Parsons, just say hi. Hi. Not hello. Hi. <laughs> okay. We're and, changing the rules, right? We're changing the uh, well, rules. Well, and I expect that. So so let's start by uh, uh, talking to Sharon a little bit first, because everybody knows who you are, Chris. <laughs> so, so Sharon and uh, I had the opportunity to meet and talk a little bit before this interview. And, and uh, Sharon used to work for my alma mater. Okay, University of Pennsylvania. And uh, explain a little bit about what you were doing with Penn, because it's the crux of what you're doing now and where you're going, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I started working at Penn when I was 20, I guess, two by that point. Uh, and uh, I had a wonderful 12 years there. Good experience. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the Wharton School. And uh, one of the things that I look back on and question myself on is after all those years at Penn where I could have taken classes for free, <laughs> I, you know, and I was at the Wharton School and then started a business. Why didn't I? Why didn't I do that? Uh, ben, I didn't, but I sort of 
muddled through with getting started, but my time at Penn was was wonderful. It was a great place to be, a great place to work, lots of energy. I got wonderful experience, kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool at a, at a job change when I uh, got put on the committee as part of my role in the events office for development to help plan the 250th anniversary for Penn. Wow. So that was um, coming out of that, I knew that this was event planning was what I wanted to do. I subsequently switched to the alumni affairs office, which gave me good perspective on um, big development events versus big alumni events. The budgets are significantly different. So I learned a little bit more about finding some corporate sponsors and some funding and making those alumni programs uh, well done. And um, after 12 years, I got the entrepreneurial bug and decided to start expert events and purely grassroots. I got a client and then bought a fax machine and ran it from my house for a while and finally moved to Center City where I was for 20 years. And then with the way the world is now, two years ago, um, where it doesn't matter where you are (laughs) to work, (laughs) and I go to my clients as opposed to having them come to my office, um, I gave up that Center City space at the end of a lease and moved back home. Uh, so I'm able to, uh, I do a lot of traveling or did before COVID. Yes, we had um, to pivot. You had to pivot. I had to pivot. That's the, uh, that's the industry word, two industry words, pivot and hybrid. Uh, and I think we talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, let's define for everybody what you mean when you talk about event planning, because it's really everything and anything. Yeah. People and, think weddings, but it goes uh, so much oh, farther. Now. Yeah. So, Don't touch those. <laughs> so, so what does it take? What does it take? You know, you're looking at helping a charitable organization uh, raise money. Mm-hmm. And I, that's primarily where you center most of your activity. Uh, higher ed and nonprofit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so what kind of events are you doing? And then uh, what is it? What are the, some of the pieces that go into this? Well, there are a lot of uh, pieces, and I think, uh, again, going back to Penn and taking all the experience that I had there, which was a lot of communications and publications work, uh, the alumni constituency building piece, uh, supporting fundraising, um, looking at all of that and working with my clients to, you know, when we get on board, the first thing I do with people is get everybody around a table that's going to touch whatever event or series of events we're going to plan and make sure that everybody's on the same page Uh because especially in larger organizations that's sometimes really difficult and setting goals for what they want the events to do for them and fundraising is whether it's a direct line fundraiser or not fundraising is always the the primary goal but there are others like how much media coverage are you looking for are you going to what do you when you wake up after it's over how do you know when you are a success if you weren't if you don't know what you were trying to achieve? And so setting those goals down and then throwing out every event idea in the known universe. I work with a lot of colleges and universities on major anniversaries. Mm. After the 250th at Penn, I worked with Columbia on launching their 250th, and I've done the centennial at Pace University, and that's where we start each time. You know, what do you want to get out of this? And then let's throw out every idea in the book, you know, from how are you going to license a new logo to put it on the teddy bear that you sell in the bookstore to um, what do you want the events to do? And um, and then 
measure up those events against the goals, their people's ideas against the goals, and try to keep people from spinning their wheels that if they don't answer the goals, let's not spend time on it. You don't want to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, massaging that a little bit as we go along. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that's especially difficult because you're dealing often with volunteer boards. Uh, you got that right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I know what they're like. And, and uh, you know, it's one thing when somebody's getting paid to do something. It's another thing. It's kind of hard to fire that volunteer sometimes, you know, when— right. Yeah. And I and I've been in that, you know, position where I serve on some boards and I think, oh, boy, you know, I got a board meeting coming up and I haven't even looked at the stuff. And then I think, well, you know, that's what you're kind of dealing with people along to (laughs) do. And and it is hard. It is hard when you are a volunteer. and, And those people do incredible work for all the organizations that I work for. And, and during your career here, you weren't doing necessarily all the events for every organization, but you were doing with the big ones that somebody had to focus on, right? Well, that's right. And I look back again at my at my time at Penn, I was an event staff person, and there are loads of people at Penn that do events across all the schools and centrally. But when it came to the 250th, um, they still hired an outside consultant for the major pieces of that because all of us had our roles that we do year in, year out, annually, the reunions, this and that. And mm-hmm. these blips in the scale are where I really focus my marketing for, for the business because I don't want to come in and step on the event planners that are on staff on their toes. But on the other hand, I want to be a support to them when big things like inaugurating a new president or launching a capital campaign, those kind of things come along. You still have to maintain your regular job. Yeah. So um, having an extra pair of hands and, and we bring a, a whole support group of people, my staff. And I learned a long time ago that the best way to get the best people is to work in partnership with people that don't do that support what I do, but don't necessarily, I don't do it. So that's when I started working with Chris Mm -hmm. and I have some uh, fundraising consultants that we bring in where that level of support is needed. Speech writers, AV techs, um, that can be consultants as well as providing the actual services at the event. Okay, so you did this for 28 years on your own, right? I have, yeah. and And you had offices in how many cities? Uh, well, three. Philadelphia is, is obviously my home base. I live here. Uh, but I have um, uh, office uh, use uh, in Manhattan, uh, okay. a graphic designer. That's another partnership that, that we bring in. Uh, with people. Uh, I worked with her. She redesigned the Wharton Alumni Magazine for me when I was the editor. And so I've known her for a long time. And she has beautiful office space three blocks from Penn Station. So that's uh, that's a great base for me when mm-hmm. I've got a lot of New York clients. And I also have one in Virginia. You know, being a Wharton alumnus... And I get that magazine every month. I, I guess I really ought to look at the artwork now and pay attention, right? Well, you should. But you, what you really need to do is go back about uh, 30 years and pull one of those out of the archives. Well, because those are the ones I... 30 years ago, I was a Wharton alumnus, too. So so, yeah. so anyway, so let's get rid of this time stuff. So so anyway, you, you did this in your own way, and you built this uh, pretty good business helping a lot of organizations raise money. And then I think March 16th, is an interesting day this year. Yes, it So was. tell us about March 16th. Well, probably a week or maybe 10 days ahead of March 16th, Chris and I are both working with a client in Philadelphia, and 
we had the 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 hard meeting with them that just said, you know, it was a it was a very very food focused tasting event for about six hundred people. Lots of touching, and, lots of touching. Yes, <laughs> and you know, in an indoor space, uh, and we just looked at each other and said, well, you know, we can't do this. And so, what are we going to do? And I've, I'm working with several different clients who have approached it very differently. Some, you know, kind of just dug in, and the smaller organizations had to focus on what they do day to day, and that was the priority. Then their staff was the next priority. So most of those organizations just pushed a year, you know, just said, "Okay, we're not doing 2020." Right. And some organizations said, well, you know, we've got to get out there with something. And so I've been working um, mainly consulting with um, some AV partners who have really approached the whole virtual thing in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris and I are working now with that same group that had to cancel on uh, the, the event that got moved to 2021. And we, in fact, even moved it a little further than exactly a year. We moved it uh, from March to June of 21. So we can be outside. And we're still looking now at only outdoor venues. So yeah. we don't have to hopefully uh, back up again, no matter what happens. But most groups I'm working with now, we're working on parallel tracks. You know, if I'm working on a big conference uh, that'll happen up in Providence, Rhode Island, also uh, next year, and uh, to basically be ready to take it all virtual because it is a conference and it's panels and we could shoot those in advance and maybe getting them to look at regionalizing that a little more so that people don't have to get on airplanes and try to travel. Mm -hmm. So you've got to just think around all the angles uh, and trying to get it off the ground again. It's a challenge to your creativity, really. It's really, talk about changing the rules. We've had to do a lot because you really have to look at things in a completely different way. And one of the things, you know, I do the PR with Sharon is the communication. Mm -hmm. A lot of people did really panic when when this COVID hit and just stopped talking to their customers, their constituents. And so what Sharon and I did was talk to them and say, look, you just can't stop the communication. You have to keep reaching out, letting everybody know what's going on, you know, sharing with them that you're trying to figure it out too, but don't let go of them. And especially now because uh, with online and virtually, that's what everyone's doing. So you're better off talking to them more that way, trying to figure out what the next steps are. Right. You know, when when we look ahead, okay, uh, hopefully, you know, we have a virus now or a, a vaccine. vaccine. We've <laughs> had, we had, had the virus. Yeah. Well, had the virus. Hey, <laughs> you know, don't, don't sweat the little thing here. <laughs> you know, but, but hopefully we have a vaccine and hopefully it's going to allow us to open up a little bit. But uh, we don't know. And we don't know if there's going to be another COVID somewhere along the line. We've kind of learned our lesson. We've also learned that we have tools in terms of the Internet and Zoom and and all of these other things in the background. So when you think and when you work with large organizations, uh, where's the thinking going now? Uh, what, What are some of the innovations that are going to come in? Well, I think the important thing is to take those, if you are going to do your event, Um, in a virtual format, 
that you totally, you do have to totally rethink it. You know, people walk into a gala in a ballroom and you have cocktails and you sit down and you have a bit of program and then you have some dessert and then you dance. It's three or four hours Mm -hmm. out of your life. Um, And people, you know, you get dressed up. It's a nice evening out. It's fun. Well, if you're going to do that and expect people to sit either at their desk or watch their uh, TV in their living room, it has to be a very different event. Mm -hmm. Uh, The recommended is 45 to 75 minutes. That's what you can capture with that. So if your CEO got to speak before for 10 to 12 minutes... Which is still they too get, long. <laughs> they get two <laughs> or three. Yeah. And you're, you've got to really, that's where Chris comes in with that as well, get, you know, directing the messaging. And my, my one thing that I always hold out that's absolutely the most important with any event that you do, no matter how you do it, is that if you're not delivering your message and mission, you've, you've missed the whole point. So making sure that condensing those events so you don't have multiple ways across the course of a whole evening to to do that, that you've done it in a concise way that's entertaining and that those... um, that event, just like a stage-managed event in a ballroom, has to never have a second that's missing. <laughs> right, right. Because you're going to lose them. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when what do you do about things? So when you look at the old-style event, food and drink and dancing were probably major parts of this. And you probably throw in a silent auction, too. Well, you can do the silent auction probably online. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what do you do about the food and the booze and the other stuff? And how do you keep keep people interested? Well, I think that it, it is definitely harder. Um, but the good thing uh, from, from these organizations, from their standpoint, is, yes, they're going to spend a lot more money on the technology. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't do it. Via Zoom, you, you do. There are much more um, professional, high net net uh, on that to be able to do. But you you do have to engage them, and uh, that's where corporate sponsorship comes in. I know that um, the Preservation Alliance, for instance, in Philadelphia, I didn't work on it, but their recent event um, when you signed on, they they partnered with De Bruno Brothers, and at the level you signed on for that's the the kind of size goodie box that you got delivered to your house um, from de Bruno's mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what people have to do we've we've talked with alumni groups that you know send you know sign up with a winery and send three or four bottles of wine and and do just small audience specific events and I think that that those are all excellent ideas and that that they were very well done um, to, to do that Um down to, you know, a cooking demonstration or whatever, you know, you're going to send people the ingredients and they can they can join in and uh, and do that. There's all kinds of creative ideas that you can do to engage your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the real upside of the whole virtual piece, I think, will continue uh, once we can even go back uh, to, to big time hundreds of people in a space uh, because it does allow you to have those hundreds of people 
but also reach out to the thousand that, you know, maybe yeah. halfway across the country that aren't going to get on a plane and come to your event, but great for pen reunions or any school's reunions that, you know, you get to the evening dinner and the president's going to speak. You didn't, you didn't show up for your 40th reunion because you weren't going to come to Philly from California, but you can still get the message. I didn't show up and I'm in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to admit that, but, but, but anyway, you know, I, I think what, your clients are going to see here is the value you bring to the table. And it's not the same old, same old. And at this point, it's going to be brand new, creative stuff. And and we're getting near the end of our time, but I do want to ask one question. You know, uh, and, and take this down now to my level over here, uh, because I'm worried about how do I get together with my family? How do I create interesting things now so that I can bring my sisters from Denver and from Chicago into a picture where we can't get together anymore. And uh, I understand that there's ways now that you can ship meals to people. You can do all sure. kinds of great, and, and this isn't what you do, but it's part of, of the change, part of the technology that's been there. Oh, right? absolutely. Uh, there, there are all, I mean, I think that's a, that's a side of this industry that's, that's seeing a, a nice increase mm-hmm. in business yes. to be able to, to do that. There's also technology, um, is so wonderful now that, you know, you can get your whole family to, to video something. There are even these uh, these websites that you set up to, you know, send little tribute videos. Yeah. Everybody could contribute to that. And then, you know, everybody could see it in their own homes um, and feel like, you know, you could still do the do the Zoom, uh, which you probably do at the family level. But you can then, you know, click on somebody's computer that's going to pull up that video and you can all watch it together and see everybody's good comments. You know, Chris, Chris has got me doing a coffee demo for my that's family right. for that's Christmas, right. you know, and, right. and, and I just see incredibly interesting things happening with this change. So everybody looks at it initially and says, what a downer. And uh, I don't think it's a downer at all. I think uh, the creative people are going to prosper from this. I think your business is going to boom because you have the technology expertise along with the event planning expertise. And you're going to be able to bring that to clients who don't otherwise know what to do. And the nice thing about expert events, Sharon's expert events, is that she is willing to to sit with everybody and have a consultation, sit and talk to them and say, you know, what is your situation and analyze some of your current events, how they are, because you're right, it's going to be a change. And if you call her, she'll kind of help you assess the situation and figure out how to go forward. Cool. Well, we are at the end of our time, unfortunately, and uh, we'll have you back sometime and we'll continue this discussion. Also, Sharon pops on every once in a while to our coffee and cocktail yes, conversation yes, kind of a thing. And uh, if people are, wanted. They're on Thursdays, coffee in the morning, cocktails in the afternoon, and you can go to our website theluckiestpeopleintheworld.com. And right on that homepage, there's a button to push to register. So it's easy as pie. And it's free. And if, yeah. if you want to meet people like Sharon, she's not there every week, but she pops on often enough and you can say hi and uh, you can get great ideas, whether it's family or professional. So uh, again, thanks for being with us, Sharon. My pleasure. Thanks for Chris coming, bringing Coming Chris back. back. Yeah, and uh, Casey, uh, sign off for us. Okay, well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, we will be back in a week with another wonderful and interesting podcast. And um, enjoy the weather while we have it. So, thank you everybody. 
Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to help you live your life the way you want and give you what you need to make it happen. Join us in two weeks for our next exciting topic on Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world.